This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Motor Auctions. Has your car shit itself? Then you've got to go with Alliance. It's the easiest way to buy a quality car at a very competitive price. Located in Moorbank, New South Wales. Call 02-9822-7200 or visit www.allianceauctions.com.au South Coast Window Furnishings. Have your window furnishings shit themselves? Then you've got to get in touch with SCWF. They service the south coast of New South Wales from Wollongong to Bermagui. Give Jamie a call for a free quote on 0408 812 007 or like them on Facebook at South Coast Window Furnishings. Elite Sports Physiotherapy. Has your back or another part of your body shit itself? Then look no further than ESP. Established in 2006, Elite Sports Physiotherapy provides physiotherapy and massage services to the people of Melbourne. Located on the mezzanine level, 13-15-1 Freshwater Place in Southbank, Melbourne. Give them a call on 03-8640-0328 or visit elitesportsphysio.com.au today. Also, special thanks to verse.com.au for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. Cheers. G'day there, fine listener. Hope you're well. Hope you're having a reasonable day. My guest this episode is stand-up comedian Kirsty Wiebeck. I popped over to Kirsty's place. We had a good catch-up. We talked about her time spent in Taiwan, her love of a certain hardware chain, and how she got into stand-up comedy. This is Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Kirsty Wiebeck, thanks for taking it easy with me today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for having me in your lovely apartment here. Um, won't say the address, but it's a bloody ripper. <laughs> can, I appreciate you not saying the address. <laughs> can see the MCG out the window, though. A little, little. Oh, all right, good, good. A little, little tip for the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> hey, it's Saturday morning, about half past ten in the morning. We're sitting here in your apartment. Have you been to Bunnings already today? <laughs> Not today. I d- have been this week though. Yeah. I actually, I took one of my friends there this week yeah. and uh, he he was a bit starstruck actually. <laughs> <laughs> Being within a Bunnings store with the unofficial ambassador of Bunnings. <laughs> I just will fill people in. You absolutely love Bunnings. I do, right? yeah. Bunnings for people... Uh, who don't know, it is a hardware store in Australia. Very huge chain of hardware stores. It's more, it's more than a hardware store now, though, isn't it? It is. We're talking garden, bathroom. We're talking. Yeah, they're they doing co- kitchen they co- and everything. Kitchen, yeah, now. they like cover basically not just wood. And they're doing like uh, decor as well now. Yeah. Like you can get like nice little um, furnishings for like your house and stuff there too. It's mm. and it's it's actually a warehouse. Like we. <laughs> We, Bunnings Warehouse. Bunnings Warehouse. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Please explain it properly. It's, <laughs> we're talking on a huge scale here, and it's a bit of a um, it's a bit of a queer icon mm. as well. And I'm I'm not sure how it became one, but I I like to play into the stereotype yep. of lesbians being able to like build everything. <laughs> yeah. And originally, it started out as a gag, and like I I actually didn't frequent Bunnings very much at all. <laughs> And then as the gag rolled on on my social media and things, I started going to Bunnings more and then I got hooked. <laughs> and it's at the point now 
where people bring me Bunnings merchandise to shows as gifts. <laughs> so we've got this basket in our bedroom just full of hats and teddy bears, <laughs> like inflatable hammers. Yeah. Like I did um, Comedy Festival Road Show through Margaret River this year and somebody, an absolute legend, brought me this huge wrapped hamper in cellophane just full of Bunnings merch and like <laughs> a bottle of wine and stuff and like a Bunnings toolkit. And there was like 10 items in it alone. Like it was amazing. And so then I had this big Bunnings hamper to take through the rest of WA and bring back to Melbourne. <laughs> uh, have anybody from Bunnings ever been in contact with you? Have you had any sort of behind-the-scenes uh, contact with people in the know at Bunnings where you can maybe get a little – Sweet deal? No, not yet. Not yeah. yet, but I'm open to it. If you're listening, Bunnings yeah. marketing team. Yeah, there's definitely <laughs> I'm very a chance they it. are because we'll put all the hashtags in this when I put it up on, on the socials, <laughs> this podcast. Hashtag Bunnings. See, yeah. see if they catch on to it. Yeah, they're getting a major plug here. So. <laughs> <laughs> do you get a lot of – I used to do this for mates and I, I, I bought so many Bunnings gift vouchers over the years. They are a great gift to give someone. They're great. Do you get many for your birthdays and Christmas? I do, yeah. yeah. My family's really into giving a Bunnings gift mm. voucher. Yeah. Yeah, and actually my whole family's on board as well. Like they would all be just as happy receiving a Bunnings gift so voucher right. as gifting a Bunnings yeah. gift voucher. <laughs> <laughs> so if you get a voucher, what aisle are you going for? What's your favourite area of Bunnings that you're – I've seen a lot of plants. In I was this just, I was about to say. I was about to say the listeners aren't going to be able to see this, but we are essentially sitting in a green room currently, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is just our front room, but it is yeah. covered in plants. So there's that. That's your answer. Like yeah. I think, um, Elle, my partner, I 100. She'd be taking that voucher, <laughs> and she'd be like, "All right, we'll pop down and we'll see what we need," and then she'd scurry across to the plant section. <laughs> And she'd be like, oh, we need this one or this one. Oh, look, it's three for $30. That's exactly what the voucher's worth. <laughs> so it would undoubtedly be plant paraphernalia. I've just done a quick count. We're in a room that's probably three by three metres. Yep. There is 27 plants <laughs> in this room. <laughs> and this is just one room, right? Yeah. I think the last time I did a count, and I'm certain that Elle would have snuck some more in since... But the last time I did a count, we were in the 90s. Fuck. Like, yeah. You need – Bunnings needs to get in contact with you. You're, yeah. You're doing some work for them. Yeah. We're, do, we're doing a lot of heavy lifting for them. We are. Yeah. We're paying all of their staff salaries. <laughs> and uh, that would, I imagine, be thousands upon thousands of mm. workers. So, If you didn't do stand-up comedy, do you think you'd – Maybe get a job, pop the apron on and stand out in front of Bunnings and <laughs> steer people. People. <laughs> people always suggest I get a job at Bunnings on, on my socials and I'm like, I I have a job. That's what I'm, like. <laughs> I'm like, that's that's why you follow me. Like, yeah, yeah. I've got an actual job. I'm a comedian. It's like it's like they don't know that I they're like, Oh, here's something you could fill your time with and I'm like, No, I'm I'm doing that. Like, <laughs> but maybe I reckon it looks like a hoot. Like, I, I reckon it'd be fun. I'd Perfect like to be the job. greeter. Greeter would be great. Yeah, I'd like to be the greeter. Because you're getting that smell of the sausage sizzle next yeah. to that whole time. That's nice. <laughs> Even though I'm a vegetarian, I appreciate that smell. Right. Can yeah. you get a vegetarian option at the sausage sizzle at Bunnings? I don't think so. I think I think 
individual organisations have fundraisers frequently, particularly up north. Uh, yeah. Very typical of the northern suburbs <laughs> where they will like crack out a vegan sausage sizzle. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I'd, yeah. I'd be well into that. Yeah. But maybe that could be your avenue into Bunnings when you talk oh, to them. You can you, maybe come down and host some host vegan, vegan vegetarian <laughs> sausage sizzle days. Just host them. Just yeah. like, come on down, everyone. Down. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for minutes. bringing the kids. Like, <laughs> yeah, me just riffing on a mic for like six hours while flipping sausages. <laughs> Turning them. I don't think you flip sausages, do you? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really showing my vegetarian stripes yeah. here. <laughs> you, well, I think that like a perfect job when you retire would be Bunnings. Because you go in there and you often see people in their 60s with a job in Bunnings, just showing people around or... Yeah. I think it's just, it'd be a lovely job, just do a couple of days a week. Yeah. yeah so you get I, to chat to people, yeah. you get to cruise around. Yeah. Again, I think the plant section would be nice as well because particularly in summer they like to get a bit of a mist going. Mm. Our hot summer day, you just in the mist garden. Yeah. Just right. surrounded by greenery. That's what nice. a beautiful dream. Like Take just a, showing showing people across to the monsteras. Yeah. Like oh go, go grab a like a deck chair from the deck chair area, bring <laughs> yeah. that drag that across into the mist. Yeah. A lovely experience. Yeah. Have a list of excuses in your pocket ready to go for when the store manager comes over. <laughs> Just wear all your paraphernalia. I think you're <laughs> yeah. some sort of super fan. <laughs> Kirsty's back. <laughs> She's up to her usual tricks. She's wheeled in an unauthorized vegan sausage sizzle. <laughs> uh, now you're a Canberran. I am. Yeah, yes. born and raised in the in the ACT. Yes, yes, born and raised. Um, I was born there, and then we had a really quick stint in Queensland because my dad was in the Air Force. Okay, and then Jeez, yeah. the amount of people you meet. That are growing up in Canberra that have had some sort of defence or air force. Totally, isn't that amazing? Yeah, like, yeah it's it, crazy. I yeah, I've met quite a few people as an adult who have come from families, air force families, who have like their fathers have known my dad. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's it's a, like Canberra's already a really tiny sort of community, isn't it? Like, we, yeah. you know, we've got one of those small town gags where it's like when you meet someone from Canberra, it's like, oh, yeah, what school do you go to? Yeah, yeah. Like immediately, like, what's your brother's name? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was friends with my sister. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they played hockey together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people say it's a – yeah, you say it's just, that it's a joke that that happens, but it is so common. I, I, it's bizarre. It's got – 300, 400,000 people. Yeah. But it's still so weirdly small and everybody knows everyone. Yeah, it's bizarre. And, like, the, there was a running gag in my friendship circles about how everyone in Canberra knows a Weebeck. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, like, and, and that happens to me so frequently, even doing stand-up. Um, I meet people really frequently who are like, oh, I know your mum. Like, she used to come into my shop down in Woden and... <laughs> And, like, it's just so frequent that somebody has a connection to one of my relatives. And, like, a little while ago, my little sister was at a work meeting and after a while this woman was like, oh, I, I saw a comedian on a cruise ship with the same surname as you. And and my sister was like, oh, yeah. And she was like, she actually looked so much like you. <laughs> and my, my sister was like, oh, yeah, Okay. And then, like, the woman came back to her, like, ten minutes later and was like, I think she was your sister. <laughs> <laughs> and my sister's like, yeah, all right, yeah, fair enough, fair play. That, that would have been my sister. She's a comedian. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's oh, and also I I spoke at like a women's leadership symposium in Melbourne a few weeks ago, mm. and a woman came up to me at the end, and she like she was so excited, and she was like, um, you you grew up in Western Creek, didn't you? And I was like, yeah, I did, and she was like, oh. I know your whole family you used to come into my family's fish and chip shop at Coleman Court. <laughs> Coleman Court. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, labor, like, labor, good Labor Club down at Western Creek too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, they've got it all down at Western <laughs> Creek. <laughs> As the jingle goes. Um, Coleman Court non-stop shopping <laughs> in the heart of Western Creek. But yeah, so she was like, she was so excited. And then at the time we had a chat for a little while and it didn't occur to me until a few days later when I was like, I wonder how she pieced that together because I don't look how I looked when I was growing up. Mm. Like, you know, when I was going to a fish and chip shop, I was probably wearing frocks and yeah. had like long hair and pigtails <laughs> and stuff and somehow she managed to work out that this <laughs> short-haired bandit in a power suit <laughs> was that little girl as a growing up. <laughs> <laughs> what school did you go to down there in uh, in uh, Western Creek? Did yeah, you go see, down? Did you go to? You can't help yourself, can you? Yeah. You're like, don't ask it, don't ask it. No, I've got to ask it. <laughs> <laughs> I went to St Jude's Primary School, yeah, and then I went to Stromlo High School. Stromlo, yeah. Did you have the observatory much for excursion? No. Funnily enough, it was quite a ways away from the observatory. Oh, yeah. So like observatory was, Stromlo is looking at stars and yeah all yeah the sky, and so that's on Mount Stromlo yeah so then Stromlo High School was actually like several kilometres away from Mount mm. Stromlo yeah like a good like twenty minute drive away yeah how far away from Questacon <laughs> <laughs> that is actually the most important question I reckon a twenty five minute drive from Questacon yeah. and you bet I was there every year on an excursion <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Growing up, going to school in Canberra, how many times did you go to Questacon for school? Would you have lost count? Between, I would guess it would be between one and two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Questacon, for listeners, is... Science museum. It's a science museum, yeah, but it's got some of the funner stuff in there. Like, they used to have things where you could run and try and race the world fastest man. Yeah. Uh, I think they had Usain Bolts in there for a while, but back when we were kids it would have been... Uh, like Linford Christie and people like that. Yeah. And it was like a thing you could run and try and keep in touch with them, which you just definitely couldn't. No, nah, those... I beat them a few times, actually. <laughs> <laughs> they had those balls where you'd put the ha- your hands on the electric and your hair would stand up on them. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, the, um, and like the electricity from inside it would like come to your fingertips. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, it was um, – well, it still is a like an interactive educational science mm. kind of experience. But it's probably, probably, school-wise and for kids, it's probably the best invention ever for an excursion. Like, oh, it's it, so you, fun you and interesting. A, yeah. Paintball and they was probably the only better thing you could do on an excursion. Paintball! <laughs> <laughs> but they, and they had the earthquake simulator. Oh, yes. Right? And, and so that simulator, I used to love it. I was mm. mad for it. It was terrifying. Mm. And – like, I've just got to say, as much as I love Questacon, I ended up living in a place for several years overseas that had a high volume of earthquakes, mm. like at times daily earthquakes, and that simulator absolutely hadn't prepared me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like I thought it would. Like when I moved over there, I was like, oh, this place has like so many earthquakes, but that's cool. You've been I grew up near Questacon. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one thing I can do, it's go through an earthquake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> if at any stage I need to grab an electrical ball and let the current run through my fingers <laughs> or go through an earthquake or race – an Olympic runner, I'm prepared. Yeah, I'm, for so, life. Prepared. I'm <laughs> so prepared. <laughs> Thank you, Questacon. <laughs> uh, did you study after school? Yeah, I did. I actually was um, party boy Corey during well, yeah. Uh, yeah, during college. <laughs> I went for it. I cut loose. I went to um, because in, in Canberra, unless you go through the private system, you um, generally go to a different school for college for year eleven and twelve. Mm. So I went to a rad school called Narrabunda College, which was really arts heavy. And I just like met my people there. Yeah. Everyone was a bit quirky, a bit artsy. There was a lot of drama going on, like drama studies, not mm. not infighting in groups. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been a bit of that, sure. Oh, plenty of that as yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> but we were sort of we were really encouraged into the creative arts and things and media and whatever. So I think I just had this like smorgasbord of like people that I never knew existed, like, yeah. to hang out with. And, yeah. and so I did. I really let my hair down. <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I, really got, uh, I really got into the, the culture of the college <laughs> and um, it looked pretty grim for my university admission as okay. a result. So you, you, it affected your, your, your scores and everything? Well, yeah, I ended time? up doing really well in the Australian scaling test. So okay. my estimate ended up being, like, jacked up dramatically by how well I did in that. Mm-hmm. But when I got my estimate, they were sort of like, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> and I was like, all oh, right. And I was like, well, I want to apply for communications at uni. And they were like, oh, <laughs> do you? <laughs> Interesting. What about a vocational role at Bunnings Warehouse? <laughs> and so I went to TAFE. I went to TAFE. I did two years. I did um, a diploma of public relations. Mm-hmm. And then I went across to the Uni of Canberra and I did the Bachelor of PR, of, of communications majoring in PR. And they um, they gave you a year of recognition of prior learning for doing a diploma. Okay. And so while I was finishing my bachelor degree, I went back to TAFE and at the same time completed some extra units to have a diploma in event management. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I did four years and got a, a bachelor degree and two diplomas, which right. feels like a bargain to me. Is that is that... Doing that sort of stuff helped you in your comedy career with your promotion and... Yes. Yeah, I'd say that would come Majorly. in handy, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's great. Majorly. I mean, when I was starting out, um, public relations was how I got bums on seats mm. when I didn't really necessarily have the comedic skills to back what I was selling. Yeah. But, yeah, I used I used PR and, like, my knowledge of... That's of great. ...promotions and things, yeah, to generate a little bit of hype and then... Yeah. I sort of got to a point where I was like, whoa, okay, cool. It's great that I've got these skills, but now I've really got to get the comedy side of it together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've got to deliver on what I'm selling. <laughs> it's time to learn how to write a joke. <laughs> um, the the partying during all this time, mm. was were you organising the events? With no. Your, with your PR skills? Yeah. No. <laughs> Yeah, I was. I was just booking out stadiums yes. and <laughs> No, I was uh I was just rocking up and attending. What was your go to bar in, in Canberra at this time? Oh, um we were pretty mad for a bit of Kingston action at that time. Did yeah, down there. Yeah. Right. Green yeah. Square? 
Yeah, yeah. So Filthy McFadden's. Yeah. Oh, we loved it. One of the first places I did stand-up comedy. Oh, Filthy, true. Yeah, they used to have a Thursday night comedy night there. Filthy oh, McFadden's. wow. Yeah. Gosh, that yeah, that was long before I ever envisaged getting yeah. into comedy. But yeah, Filthy's and next door was the Durham. Yeah. And they were, yeah, oh, we loved it. Like on a summer night, like being out in Green Square yeah. in the garden. Uh, just before I moved overseas, I had leaving drinks at Filthy McFadden's one night. And um, it was su- it was super busy, and w- we had like twenty mates out. Mm. And um, I was telling a story in quite an animated fashion, which I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and s- at some stage, I managed to get my wrist under the table, and like essentially semi flipped the table, <laughs> and it was covered in pint glasses, <laughs> and just like at least thirty pint glasses just smashed in the middle of Green Square. <laughs> And there was just this like almighty roar of taxi, <laughs> which was so loud that it created some seismic activity. But we were all fine because we'd been to Questacon. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you get barred from the Durham for five years? But it didn't matter because you were <laughs> heading overseas anyway. Well, I felt bad, and I thought that that might be the case. But they came out, and they were like, "Look." We should have cleared the table. Yeah, good. Like, yeah, they were like, the, we should not have had that many glasses yeah. like languishing on your table. It would have been great if you did it, smashed it, that you've you know handled the tremors on the ground and then just <laughs> sprinted like you were running away from a <laughs> Olympic sprinter. I was racing Linford Christie. <laughs> Thank you, Questacon. <laughs> and the barman's like, fuck, Questacon. Everybody's so fast in this town. Everyone's so fast. <laughs> Uh, did you ever go to um, Itchy Bums, ICBM, in the city Oh, there? I never knew it was called that. But, yeah, I did. I had yeah. a bit of a stint as a DJ while I was at uni. And you went into ICBM as a DJ? Yeah, on New Year's Eve. My oh. mate was DJing at ICBM and uh, I, yeah, I went along and helped him out after my gig. And it was wild. Mm. And I remember at one point, um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was like a human error on our part, the power cut at the DJ booth. And you just, oh. Probably the worst thing that happened in the nightclub. Yeah. <laughs> well, like we're blessed that we're here, basically. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, oh, the clientele at ICBM. <laughs> yeah, pretty sticky floors at ICBM. Oh, mm. they were, yeah, they were livid as well. Yeah. They, yeah, everyone was livid. They were screaming at us. And it's like, well, I just don't know if that is going to get us into fixing the problem. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, we're terrified. Yeah. Our hands are quivering. And this is when we need our steady hands. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, we were such fast runners. <laughs> um, you mentioned you moved over to a, uh, a place that had a lot of tremors uh, for a few years after this time. After your party, you've got your bachelor's and your degrees. Yep. You moved to Taiwan. Yes. What made you move to Taiwan? What was the uh, thought process there? I think in... My late teens, I became really fixated on the idea of living overseas. And essentially what happened was I, I stayed at home because I lived in Canberra. Uh, the, I knew I wanted to live overseas and it didn't make sense to me economically to move out of home to do uni. Um, so I stayed at home, saved money did uni and then like two and a half months after graduation moved to Taiwan. But I was looking into my options and I 
was applying for like really low level PR roles around the world mm. at the time. And then I'd been working and volunteering a lot in PR while I was studying it. So I was kind of over it by that point. And I was like, I don't even know if I really want a career in PR. Like, and I'm 22 and I'm going to get this job in like Edinburgh or like um, Vancouver I'd applied. And I was like, if I get one of these jobs and move over there, then I'm just on this trajectory of like just this PR career and I don't even know if that's really Mm -hmm. what I want to be doing. So my older sister actually saw an ad at her university at at the ANU, her superior university, she would say. (laughs) (laughs) And she sent it to me and it was for teaching English in Taiwan. And I was like, oh, I could do that for a year while I figure figure everything out. And I ended up applying for it and I got the job and I'd I'd also really become fixated over the previous years with learning Mandarin. Okay. And I have no idea why. Like I I think I thought it would be fun. <laughs> I was just like, it'd be it'd be fun to speak Mandarin and and it is. <laughs> it, it is, but it's a very difficult language to learn. But I think I just thought it would be like, um, yeah, I thought it would be a big challenge and it would be interesting and mm. it absolutely was. So then when I got this job in Taiwan, I was like, that is so great. Like I can I can study Mandarin now. And then what happened was I went over there and I sort of got tricked into having to work a lot more than they promised me when I took uh. the job. So they took our passports and right. – yeah, really good. Good first manoeuvre. I had a one-year contract and I was meant to teach 15 hours a week and then I could study Mandarin. But instead, they had me teaching like 34 hours but then grading for hours for free on top of that. Whoa. And like the job ended up being like at least 50 hours a week. Mm. And I couldn't study Mandarin but I, I picked up a lot of it on the streets, like talking to people and really paying attention. It's You've got to be a languages person to pick up Mandarin that way mm. and you've got to know how your brain works while learning other languages. And it was a lot a, a lot of basic Mandarin. Like my conversational Mandarin was quite good after a year. It, it would have to be in the top couple of uh, the hardest languages to learn, Mandarin, wouldn't it? Yeah. Look, I was talking to a friend about this the other day and we were trying to – like we were trying to work this out because I was saying that English is actually one of the hardest languages to learn. Right. Because of all of the irregularities. For for English speakers or Latin-based language speakers, we think that like Mandarin or Vietnamese is the hardest because of all of the tones. Mm. But I actually, I'd, I keep meaning to look this up because I'd like to know objectively what is hard. Because Mandarin grammar is way more intuitive than English grammar. Okay. So... For me, I could knock Mandarin grammar on the head really easily. <laughs> like I could just learn it so quickly. It's a sentence. Yeah. I could knock Mandarin grammar <laughs> on the head easily. I don't think I've ever used that sentence. And now that I've said it, I'm like, is that is that okay? Like, are you allowed? To, is that an actual correct okay sentence that's inoffensive and grammatically correct? Like, I don't even know. I, I regret saying it. Um, <laughs> But but coming from teaching English, mm. where we actually had to learn English grammar in order to teach it, because I was like, I don't know what that word means. Uh. Like, I, like I just know how to I know how to do it because everyone was doing it around me when I was yeah. a baby. So we had to learn English grammar, and then I was learning Mandarin grammar concurrently, and I was like, oh wow, I love Mandarin grammar. Mm-hmm. But then of course we had to learn the tones. But but for me personally. 
learning the tones was a lot easier than learning the intricacies of my own language's grammar. Yeah. And does does each country, uh, Taiwan, obviously there's a few countries that speak Mandarin. Is it a is there different takes on Mandarin or is it all the same? Um, per country, is it? There's different turns of phrase and things. There's a different accent in right. Taiwanese Mandarin. Yeah. If I speak in Mandarin to a mainland Chinese person, they always know that I learnt Mandarin in Taiwan. Right. Yeah. 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 So similar. Uh, yeah. A Kiwi accent to a. Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. Yeah. Like um like in in Shanghai Mandarin like there's a um a real er sound okay. on the ends of a lot of words mm-hmm. that like. Taiwanese Mandarin simply doesn't have. Yeah. So, again, like having learnt Taiwanese Mandarin, when I hear someone speaking Mandarin from like that Shanghai kind of region, like immediately it's like, oh, all right, yes, I recognise that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you spent six years there in the end. Yeah. They took your passport when you got there. <laughs> You're doing more hours than you expected. Were you actually just a prisoner in the end? Is that where you were? <laughs> I, w- I was incarcerated. <laughs> you didn't actually know. Just like, yeah, I'll come up there for a little while. <laughs> for that year, I definitely felt like I was a prisoner. Mm. That year was probably one of the hardest years of my life. But I knew I really liked the country and I'd met okay. so many interesting and cool people and I had so many great friends that sort of helped me like get through that initial mm. year that I thought, you know what, I'm going to leave this company get another job and I, I reckon that's the one thing that needs to change for this to be, yeah, a really great experience. And and it was true, like everything got better with my next okay. school and then I sort of hopped around from different um, companies, spent a year down south um, testing the waters there, didn't like it, went back up to Taipei and then ultimately ended up working in publishing as a as a writer and an editor. Great. Yeah. For, for a Taiwanese paper uh for for a publishing company so they wrote a lot of educational books a lot of children's books like books for young teens um and then i wrote like i helped write like a textbook for university students to learn english Mm -hmm. yeah a range of a range of projects but yeah i finished up there did you did you tell the anu back in canberra to take that sign down because it's false advertising that it's not what it says like it would many people be getting fooled, you know, seeing 15 hours a week and you get to learn the language and then heading up and just getting hammered with 40 hours a week? That can't be great, obviously. Like, no, it's not great. You, and until you, you mention you t- this, it never occurred to me to award others. <laughs> There's someone up there right now just doing yeah. a 100-hour week. Yeah, just it's getting... every man for himself. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. I mean, they, they have a very – they used to – publicly call themselves like the McDonald's of English learning. Okay, that's questionable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they had really clear branding, which was like fluoro yellow and blue, and they were everywhere. They were like on every street corner, like hence the right. McDonald's of English okay. learning. But uh, they had a really big marketing budget. Um, yeah, really big. So they were they were advertising through, yeah, universities and and – places like that all over the world um, to get native speakers over there. And, I mean, a, a lot of my friends had very different experiences. Okay. It, it depended mm. on the franchise. Mm. And, yeah, a lot of my friends had worked there for 10 years and some people I know are still over there working for right. them. 
But for me, like the branch I went to was just run by this awful, evil woman who <laughs> hated expats. Like she told me, she told me that she hated foreigners. Right. And keep, I, keep yeah, advertising to yeah, us. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, like on on my second shift or whatever. She was like, I hate foreigners. And I was like, okay. And she was like, you come over here and you, you t- teach all of our kids English and you make exponentially more money than the rest of us, which was true and was an ongoing issue. She's in the wrong business then. Wasn't her business to bring expats to there to teach? Yes. Oh my god! It's like if you hate expats, you should distance yourself yeah. from them. I think you're in the wrong job. You're, yeah, you're only dealing with expats in this job, or at least keep your cards close to your yeah, chest. Yeah, yeah. Like it just—it really sullied our relationship. Yeah. Knowing she hated me. Yeah. Give me a week to settle in before yeah. you start ripping in about expats. Yeah, she's like, just to be clear, I hate you <laughs> and all of your people. All right. Well, what? this is going to be an interesting year. <laughs> You're listening to Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Hey, before we go back to the podcast, I want to tell you about someone. That someone is Melbourne-based photographer Nicole Reed. One of the most sought-after photographers going around, Nicole has taken photos for all sorts of people. Comedians like Peter Hellier and Anne Edmonds, musical acts like the Hilltop Hoods, and sports stars like Buddy Franklin. If you want to see how great her work is, I suggest you head over to her Instagram page. It's Nicole Reed Photographer. While you're at it, you may as well jump on her website, which is www.nicolereed.photography. Get in contact and book in a shoot today. Now let's get back to the podcast. <laughs> what uh, what part of Taiwan were you, were you in? So then I lived in Taipei County, which okay. was like the outer ring of... Yeah, Taipei. So there's Taipei City where all the fun's happening. Mm-hmm. And then Taipei County, which, you know, was like a 25-minute taxi ride from the heart of Taipei City, mm. but was like old world Taiwan. Like a lot of my neighbours didn't speak Mandarin. They spoke Taiwanese. Okay. And there were like little markets running like just on all the streets and there was people just zooming through on scooters, like mm. real sort of hustle and bustle, but like almost like you know shanty towns like built mm. into this neighborhood as well. Like mm. just yeah, re- really interesting. A, yeah, a cool place to to start out and to sort of uh, learn a little bit about about the country and mm. things. But also, you know, from from spending twenty two years like living with my parents and having never lived out of home, and yeah. then moving to Shulin in Taipei County was like. Whoa, <laughs> what is happening? Guys, whereabouts is your Coolerman Court equivalent? Yeah. Is that, is that, yeah. Where can I shop? Uh. Yeah. Why is the earth shaking? Is this a simulator or is this the real deal? <laughs> Six years is a long time to spend just post-uni in one place. Generally, people will do a year or two. Yeah. Uh, so you just stayed there for six years. Was there a point during that time where you thought, I might live here forever? No, no. I I became really conscious of how much of an other I was starting to feel at home. Right. Like each time mm. I visited back here, he felt more and more foreign to me. Okay. And the thing in Taiwan was that you'd never you'd never be a local in Taiwan. Like mm. you'd always be different in Taiwan as well. And I think I had friends that 
had been there for a lot longer than me that I think were really feeling that struggle. And I, I really wanted a home somewhere and I knew it wouldn't permanently be in Taiwan. Mm. So I think at about the five-year mark I was ready to come home, but my partner at the time wanted to stay an extra year. And so we did and I was really – really over ready by the time we yeah, moved. Right. Like everything was annoying me. Yeah. I was over it. I really wanted to go home. And then when I, when I got back to Australia, like I, I genuinely think it took me a good two years to settle back in. Yeah. Like I just remember like just talking to people like even at the airport and being like, oh, <laughs> what have we done? Yeah. Like just everyone's so crass and coarse and yeah. g'day doll, chuck your bag up here. Yeah. And I was like, oh, make it stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, tw- 22 to 28, those years you were there, they're, they're the kind of the years where you decide where you want to go in life. In school and after school, you don't really know what you want to do. But those next years up until you're 30 are where you're like, okay, I can sort of see where this is happening. So if you're spending all that time in Taiwan where you're, you know, you're growing as a person and then you come back to Australia where you haven't been for six years, yeah, you would feel lost and like, well, what the hell is this? Where am I supposed to be? Is Canberra the place to be? What do I yeah. do here, you know? Yeah, I was fortunate enough that I knew that I'd spent enough time in big cities while I was overseas that I could never live in Canberra again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, I absolutely cannot do that. Yeah. But, yeah, like, you know, loads of things had changed for me in that, you know, 20, year, uh, 20 years, six years even. Yeah, I mean, I, I came back from Taiwan, like, with a girlfriend. Mm. Like, I wasn't out. Oh, you weren't well, before you left? No. Wow. No, no, I wasn't. And because I didn't know. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I, right. I just didn't know. Yeah. I wasn't in. Like, I was, you know, I was getting out and about. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but there hadn't been any sort of formal event before I left. So mm. I went to Taiwan for six years and, like, came back gay. Like, yeah. I was like, what did they do to you over there? <laughs> but did you, did your family think we, we knew or were, were people in your family generally surprised no oh no it. one was shocked right um <laughs> and my and my sister my younger sister was already out okay and when when, when i was talking to my mum about what my little sister when she came out my my mum was like oh oh your dad and i thought you were gay <laughs> and i was like oh yeah Whew. and i thought you know i can't hit them with a double whammy <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure at the time. I wasn't sure right. I would have done it, but because I was never phased by it, like I, mm. I had a very boring, easy, no sort of struggle approach to my sexuality. So if I'd known, I would have been like, "Yeah, I am. Deal with it." Mm. But I just, I, I was non-committal. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I rang Mum from Taiwan and told her mm. that you know my ha- housemate was actually my partner now, like we had started out as housemates and that we were going travelling through the UK and South America for six months together. And I, I don't know, like I just, I wanted some sort of fanfare, you know, like I just, and mum was like, sort of, she was like, oh, all right, yeah, cool. Yeah, we figured. <laughs> anyway, here's your dad. And I was like, what? I was like, I don't know, I want some sort of, you know, a round of applause or like, <laughs> Put something. me on speakerphone, get yeah, everybody yeah. in, clap, yeah. give me a clap or something. Yeah, yeah. and they're like, yeah, boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right, cool. Anyway, um, 
The Raiders had a good win today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're like, uh, they're putting an Audi in over at Coolman Court. Oh, God, they're more interested in the Audi than they are in... Oh, all right, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm a shocked. <laughs> so you, you return from Taiwan with your partner. Yes. And you do 12 months around Australia? Is that what you do? Yeah, a a, yeah, yeah. About 12 months. Yeah, so they are from the UK... And they had to get their second year working holiday visa. Mm. So we got a camper van and we travelled around and we just had, I mean, it was a really interesting glimpse into how hard farming life is in Australia, Mm. you know, because that year, like right now, you know, everyone's ravaged by drought Mm. and it's it's such a, you know, great, great tragedy for the industry and, you know, all of the farmers and families involved. But... (laughs) When they're not ravaged by drought, it's often floods. Mm-hmm. And that's what other, it was a flooding year. Right. The year that we were trying to get their um, working holiday visa extended. So 12 months to get three months of farm work. And, you know, often we had $50 left in our account between God. the two of us. Yeah. And we were just hustling like 12 hour drives to get to another property, like yeah. in uh, across the border in New South Wales, hoping that we'd be able to get a few weeks' work mm. there. In order to um, to tick off those those dates for them, and so yeah, it took it took about a year okay. to get them yeah. to get it done. During any of this time, the six years in Taiwan, the year travelling around Australia, was did stand up comedy ever enter your no mind? No, no, it was never a thought. I think it was a really distant dream that was less less so than being like, oh, one day I want to be a stand up comedian, and more like. Oh, being a stand-up comedian would be cool. Mm. You know, like I think people ask me this all the time and I think like how I said it then is probably the first time I've articulated it properly. So you're welcome. It's a Dan Connell taking it easy exclusive. (laughs) I've finally been able to put into words how I feel about something. But yeah, that's what I think. That it was just like, oh, being a stand-up would be cool. Not I dream of being a stand-up one day. Mm. So it was way back in the recesses of my mind, but it wasn't until... I was 30 and had just come out of like a less than desirable relationship. And so that one had ended already. And then I, you know, got into another relationship um, a little while after that. Where, um, where were you living at this time post the, the 12 months? Melbourne. You, yeah, you were so in Melbourne. I, yeah, yeah, I'd made the call and I was in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we broke up and then I um, – you know, I gave it some time and um, 16 hours later I had a new girlfriend. Right. <laughs> not really. Not really. Not really, but that wouldn't be unusual in, the, in my community. <laughs> Just got someone waiting in the wings. <laughs> like at the deli, like number 23. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Your number's up. Yeah, so I left – I was in this relationship for a few months and I woke up one morning and just was like – I had a real like – oh. I hate to use the word, but like an epiphany where I was just like, what are you doing with your life? Mm. Like, what were you doing in that relationship? What are you doing in general? And I was like, you've got to be a comedian. You've got to do it. Mm. And like, it's just off a Hollywood movie, really. (laughs) (laughs) It's like off the Devil Wears Prada or or something. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever watched that movie. But anyway, I I assume that scene's in (laughs) it. And so I, I signed up that day for a comedy workshop. Workshop? Yeah, oh. I did a workshop. Okay. I, was one of the, I was one of those bandits. I didn't yeah. know how to get into it. Fair so enough. I was like, I'll yeah. do a workshop. I'll treat myself to a workshop. Yeah. 
So I did a workshop for a week at the end of it. We did a five-minute set. And then after that, I didn't know about open mics and stuff. Mm. I didn't know what to do, so I just wrote a one-hour show. <laughs> <laughs> workshop obviously gave you some good tips. Um. <laughs> I, um, I, I wrote minutes, a one-hour show. I booked, um, I booked the MCG and used my... <laughs> Used my PR yeah. background <laughs> to get 25,000 people in. Taiwanese people in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I did a one-hour show in Mandarin about earthquakes. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you do the first one-hour show? In Canberra. Okay. I took it home. Yeah. I was like, all right, I need that safety net. I need people that know me. And I did, I did hustle and I did use my... Um, my PR knowledge and I ended up with uh, – I ended up selling over 100 tickets Gross. to this. And I just rem- – I remember the feeling when I was peeking out from behind the curtains and I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh. It's not just a figure in my try booking report. Yeah. I can actually physically see all of these people. <laughs> yeah. And, okay, I've written something. I'm going to do it. And I had a red hot go. It was a, essentially a 60-minute memorised year six rostrum speech. Okay, yeah. Like probably featuring seven or eight pleasant stories with <laughs> a mediocre payoff at the end with no gags interspersed because I didn't know how to do that yet. Yeah. But people enjoyed it enough and were kind enough that they got behind me. And some of the people that came to that very show who I didn't even know still attend my shows now. That's good. And I really like to think that it's been worth the wait for them. <laughs> I've got a few jokes now. So I actually know how to do a setup and a punch. So I really hope that they're like, well, whew, we weathered the storm and, <laughs> and now we're enjoying our shows. <laughs> um, you mentioned they're maybe doing the MCG in Mandarin. Mm. Did you Have you ever thought... Do you do you know Mandarin well enough to be able to do comedy in it? Uh, I did. I don't get to practice it enough now. My conversational Mandarin is still good. Mm. But I don't get to practice it enough now that it's at a level that I could do a show in it, mm. I don't think. And there's also um, real cultural nuances with humour, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Like humour just doesn't translate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like my like my sense of humor, I couldn't I couldn't directly translate one of my stories that people really enjoy when I'm cruising around Australia. Mm. I couldn't directly translate that story into Mandarin and people love it. Mm. And like wordplay and things. Yeah. I know. Out the window. D- mm. Just totally different thing. I remember being in a, a taxi when a bunch of us were quite boozy in Taipei once and we had this beautiful taxi driver, Mr. Lin who we'd call up and he'd drive us around everywhere. And we could get a taxi just off the street, but we loved Mr. Lin, so we'd mm. give him our business. And he um, would practice English with us in the in the taxi. And we were all quite boozy and we were on our way to a pub to meet some other friends and he was asking us about jokes. And I said that one of my favourite jokes is why I was six scared of seven because seven, eight, nine. <laughs> And then we spent half an hour in the taxi trying to translate it into Mandarin for him. <laughs> like trying to interpret it and trying to get the meaning across and trying to explain it in Mandarin and English. And he was like, huh, nah, nah. So when he dropped us off at the pub, 
he came in with us and he asked one of the Taiwanese staff members who were working in this Western pub, so spoke fluent English as well. He asked them and he was like, so he's like, what's that joke, guys? And we say it to them and then they interpret it into Mandarin for him Mm. and explain it. And he was like, ah. And then just got in his car and drove <laughs> off. Like, it just simply was not funny in Mandarin. <laughs> you I just reckon, have to explain it. I reckon he p- played that up and just drove you around for 45 minutes to get the big affair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's this? Yeah, well, like, this is usually a 20-minute drive, but it's just taken six and a half <laughs> hours. Still in, we, were yeah, we owe you three and a half thousand dollars. This is a nightmare. <laughs> So how many years has it been on since you did the the one hour that one hour show? That's about five or six years ago. Yeah, about six. Six years ago. Yeah, just yep. gone six, I think. And now things are you're kicking goals now, doing all yeah. the festivals. Yep. Worked out how to write a joke <laughs> into a longer form show. <laughs> worked out that you can do spots around town to work in your material. Yeah, up. that was a revelation. Yeah. 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 There, yeah there's venues you can go to. <laughs> yeah, the practice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you enjoy most about the the stand up the stand up world? Um, at a really basic level, I just thoroughly love making people laugh. Yeah. Like, I just love that people have had an escape for Mm. a bit and just had a good laugh. And that's very much my brand of comedy as well. Like, I'm not solving the world's problems. um, Yet. uh, (laughs) Yet. (laughs) (laughs) I love that other comedians can. Yeah, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'll ever be that comedian. I think mm. I get a lot of joy out of get some vegetarian sausages down to Bunnings and start changing, <laughs> changing some things. Yeah, see, that's the thing. I can I can change the world one vegan sausage at a time <laughs> in my free time. But when I'm on stage, I enjoy giving people an escape. I like light-hearted, silly yeah. kind of humour. Yeah, so I like that. I've got I've got a lot of really great. Mates in mm. the stand-up world now, which I really super appreciate, mm. um, because I think it can be a hard job to try and explain to people. Or if you're ever feeling a bit down about it, or you've got a gripe, like anyone who's not in the world of stand-up comedy will be like, "Oh, like cry me a river!" Like, <laughs> you're getting, you're, like this is your dream job. You're doing it full time. Yeah. You're working. 90 minutes max a week yeah. <laughs> and you pay your rent and bills like yeah. like suck it up but like you know other people in in the stand-up world you understand how much work behind the scenes goes into all, yeah. of, all of that and yeah so I really enjoyed that like the camaraderie like once you find your people in the industry mm. as well but just just getting to go around and like see new places and like be paid to do it like yeah. and and to hopefully bring happiness and humour to a bunch of people for, yeah. for a bit of time. And then I'm, I'm just having this flashback to being in Broome this year on mm. the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Roadshow and, like, just doing this super fun gig but, like, in the day just being, like, up on Cable Beach, like, <laughs> one, of, one of the most beautiful beaches <laughs> in the world and then, like, popping in and doing, like, 10 minutes on stage that – 20 minutes, to be fair yeah. – on, on stage hey, that night. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It was 16 and a half. <laughs> but, yeah, I really enjoy that. Like, I think – yeah, I think we're super lucky to be able to do mm. what we do even though sometimes you do slip into that usual – human instinct of like, oh, oh, I've got to go to a gig tonight, it's cold, it's windy, I don't want to go. And then you're like, wait up, like, no, you're going to be all right. Like, this is a bit better than doing 
34 hour weeks in Taiwan that <laughs> first year. Yeah. yeah, or like fruit picking in 35 yeah. degree heat up in outback Queensland. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can do this. There's aircon. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you, you came in at, at a good place because you, a lot of people who are starting out, say you start out in your 20s, mm. early 20s, you don't have a great deal of life, life experience. Right. Uh, I just find people who start a bit later because you've lived, you know, you've lived. Post school, you've lived twelve years before you've done your first gig, so you've yeah. had all those times overseas. You've just seen a few more. You just get the world a bit totally. more. So you've got a bit more to talk about. Totally, um, I agree. Yeah, because people often ask me why I started so late, mm. and I'm like, well, one, I didn't know that it was actually my dream. Mm. It was sort of a repressed dream, and two, like when I did start to think about it sporadically a little bit more in my twenties, it was never. It was always a half baked thought because. Mm. I was like, what What would I talk about? Yeah. And then by the time I was 30 and had come back and settled in Melbourne, I was like, oh, boy, do I have some things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what won't I talk about, more to the point? <laughs> well, I look bloody forward to seeing more of your work in the coming years. Same. Um, what is uh, – obviously, you'll be doing all the festivals in 2020. Yeah, I'll be doing a few of them. I'll definitely be doing Melbourne. Mm-hmm. I've applied for Canberra, so we'll see what happens there. Um, and so far, I'll be down. Um, yeah, I'll be down in Tassie, and yeah, I'm not going to be doing them all. I don't think I'm doing Perth and Adelaide next okay. year. But no worries. it's all a bit up in the air, really. Well, at this stage, it's still only September, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I'll definitely be at Melbourne, a hundred percent, and then. Um, if I'm not at the other festivals, I'll be touring the show independently anyway. That's mm-hmm. what I usually do. So. Awesome stuff. Yeah. Well, I'll plug all your socials in the wrap-up after the thing so you don't need to plug anything. Thank you. Plug your website or your Instagrams and everything so you'll just get thousands of new followers. <laughs> I'm <laughs> expecting at least 15,000. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully a little bit of work from Bunnings as well. We play our cards right. Wink, wink. Take 15% of that. Too, <laughs> yeah, I'll have to give you a cut. <laughs> All right, well, that is it. Thanks very much for taking it easy with me today. Thanks so much for having me. Good on you, Dan. No worries. Hey, thanks very much for listening. If you'd like to follow Kirsty, get around her and see what she's up to in the comedy game, you can follow her on her social media. She's on Instagram and Facebook, Kirsty Wiebeck, that's K-I-R-S-T-Y, Wiebeck, W-E-B-E-C-K, get around her on those. I've also got her on Twitter, at Kirsty Wiebeck, and she's got a website, www.kirstywiebeck.com, so check her out and get around Kirsty. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends. They'd be much appreciated. If you listed on Spotify, send them towards Spotify. Become a, become a follower. They'd be much appreciated. Uh, check out Apple Podcasts as well. If you listened on there, send your friends there. They can subscribe. Uh, leave a little rating, maybe a comment. That'd be lovely. Uh, you can also listen on my website, danielconnell.com.au. Uh, while you're on the website, may as well subscribe to my mailing list. I'll send you all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, you can also check out my gigs page, see what I'm up to in live stand-up comedy uh, coming up, coming up to the festival season 2020. Uh, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook uh, at Daniel Connell Comedy and Twitter at Daniel Connell 3. Check those out. Uh, yeah, they'd be much appreciated. That is about all. Until next time, take it easy. <laughs>